Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, along with my dad, Pastor Jeff Cranston. We are seeking not only to help you know deep, solid biblical theology, but to know the Word of God and the promises of God that are given to us in His Word, all while holding to solid theological truths in your heart, soul, and mind. It's so good to be back with you all after our Christmas break. If you're sticking with us live here, we are kicking off the new year with a new podcast today. We're going to be looking at another one of Paul's letters, this time again to the church at Thessalonica. As you may know, there's two of those letters in the New Testament. Today, we're looking at the second one of those. If you missed our overview of 1 Thessalonians, you can go back to episode 178 and give that one a listen. We already know Paul is the author of both letters to the Thessalonians. And we learned in our last podcast, he wrote 1 Thessalonians around AD 51. And Bible scholars believe he wrote this letter about AD 51 or 52, so pretty close together. We also previously learned from our First Thessalonians podcast that Paul is writing to a new church. This was a new group of believers, and he most likely wrote these letters while in Corinth after fleeing from Thessalonica due to persecution after establishing this new church. So that kind of gives us a little bit of background there. Dad, we're referring to the Thessalonians and Thessalonica, like we really know this place, (laughs) but I'm guessing most of us don't really have a lot of knowledge regarding this city. How about getting us started there and filling us in a little bit? Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And hello again, kitchen table theologians. It's good to be back. We've had a few weeks off, which was a nice break over the Christmas holidays. Hoping you had a good Christmas and a very happy new year. If you're following along with us as we record these, if you're listening to this any other time of the year, that really won't make a whole lot of sense to you. But we're recording this the second day of January in 2024. Well, yeah, to go the direction you want us to go a little bit, Thessalonica was a capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. Now, these may be names you recognize not only from the Bible, but present day. They remain present-day names. They had, in Paul's day, about a population of 100,000 people. It was located at the intersection of two major Roman roads, one leading from Italy eastward, that was called the Ignatia Way, and the other from the Danube to the Aegean Sea. Thessalonica's location and their harbor on the Aegean Sea made it a prominent city. It was an important city. It was a free city. It flourished in trade. There was a lot of philosophical teaching that took place. It was governed by Politarchs, whom we met in our first Thessalonians podcast in Acts 17. So if you want to know more about Politarchs, go back to podcasts and listen to that one. Religiously, the city was really committed to Greco-Roman, that pantheon of gods. They were, you know, if you were going to be Roman, that's kind of what you were expected to do. Gods such as Minerva, Zeus, Apollo, Diana, Poseidon. There were some Egyptian cults which had followings in Thessalonica. There were imperial 
cults. Well, what does that mean? They worship Caesar. There was also a large Jewish population. Now, today, the city is called Thessaloniki, and it's a very modern city. And today, it's the second most important city in Greece, only after Athens. And there's over a 1 million people who live in Thessaloniki. By the way, that also explains why there has been very little archaeological information from the first century city, because the 21st century city sits right on top of everything from the past, which I find very interesting. And as I did some study and wanted to see what had been dug up archaeologically, there's very little for Thessalonica because Thessalonica has always been to this day in the exact, pretty much the exact same place. So they, in order to do any archaeological digs, they're going to have to tear some present-day buildings down. And people don't like it when you tear down their building. No, that's very interesting. And Kitchen Table Theologian, Dad shared a video with me that we want to share with all of you, a great resource for you. Dave Stotts with Drive Through History has an excellent six-and-a-half-minute video on ancient Thessalonica. So we will link that for you in today's episode notes. And I really do think it is worth a few minutes for you to watch that. Dad, maybe let's give us a quick reminder of where we find ourselves in the life of the early church. I touched on it quickly, but dig a little deeper there for us. Sure. And I'll just add my part to encouraging you to watch that video that we link. It, It really is good. He does show you some of the things that they have found archaeologically. It's six and a half minutes long, as Tiff said well worth your your time to go do that. Check out the link in the episode notes. So, okay, back to biblical Thessalonica. Paul, the apostle, Silas, Timothy, they had all preached in the Thessalonian synagogue. And we know that many of the Jews and pagans there in the city were converted to Christianity. This led Paul to being charged with sedition against Caesar. And the authorities forced him out of the city. Paul then sent Timothy back into Thessalonica to check on the new believers because he was concerned about having left them so prematurely and and rather suddenly. So you can understand he was a little concerned about them. Timothy went to Thessalonica, and then he returned to Paul with questions from the Thessalonian church. And so in his letters, Paul wrote to the church, He, you see him patiently answering many questions that they had as new believers regarding doctrine and how to live the Christian life out, how to live out the Christian faith. And and his goal in his letters, these two letters, was to encourage them to continue being faithful and obedient to Christ, even in times of trouble and persecution, which they were starting to experience. Why did Paul feel the need to write to the Thessalonians again? So soon after writing the first letter, we said in that intro, it maybe wasn't even a full year apart, these two letters. So why was there the need to write again? Yeah, I saw some scholars said maybe it was like only four months later. Others say it was almost a year later, but it wasn't a long time. Well, to answer that, Paul Paul had received a report that things had not only basically remained the same, but they had actually gotten a little bit worse. That's the news he's getting back from Thessalonica. Persecution had increased, and there continued to be among the believers some misunderstandings regarding the return of Christ. So Paul felt it necessary to write again. Now, the team who creates 
another excellent video source on Bible book overview, overviews is called the Bible Project. Tells us that this letter divides very easily into three main sections. In the first section, Paul provides hope for the believers in the midst of increasing persecution. Secondly, he provides clarity regarding what he often referred to as the coming day of the Lord. And as you read that in the New Testament, the word day most often is capitalized, which means it was like the day of Jesus's return. That's the second section of the letter. The third and final section, Paul addresses those within the congregation whom Paul referred to as idle, as people who were refusing to work normal jobs. I'm not going to lie. That third one sort of threw me. It feels a little bit weird and like it might not fit with the other one. (laughs) I know I sometimes I have trouble getting my own kids to put their laundry away and to do their own chores, but I'm guessing this is a bit more of a serious situation than that. So Give us some clarity there. Why were the people not working? Yeah, it does feel a little bit odd because we think of all the things Paul could write about and he addresses their idleness. And and it's actually one of the theological themes of the letter. Bible scholars provide us with three viable reasons for why idleness was present in the church. And Paul being Paul, he hits it head on. So first off, many believe some of the Thessalonians have stopped working because the end times were at hand. They felt Jesus was was going to come literally any day. So what's the point of working? They might have felt they were already living in God's kingdom. There was no need to work. Or they might have felt that Jesus was coming at any minute, and thus there was no point to work. Both letters do speak quite a bit about misunderstandings regarding the end times. And it is interesting that the passages about idleness in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3 both come in the context of teaching on the end times. Secondly, others have suggested perhaps a nobler reason for their idleness, and it's this. People had given up their day jobs in order to preach the gospel. Such would-be evangelists stand in sharp contrast to Paul, the, the foremost evangelist, who nonetheless worked with his own hands as a tent maker, primarily because he didn't want to become the burden to any churches. But some think, well, so many stopped working so that they could preach. But Paul said, okay, I'm preaching, but I'm still working. Lastly, some see the problem as more sociological than theological. Some manual laborers were unemployed. Now, that may have been because of laziness or persecution. They became Christians and they were fired or they're it's possible there was just some sort of general economic malaise. Maybe the the economy was bad where they were at the time. And they become dependent on the charity of other people from within the church. They discovered life as the client of a rich patron was significantly easier than life as a laborer slogging out a day's work. So the injunction for Christians to care for one another formed a, a very ready pretext for them to continue in this parasitic lifestyle. Of course, they would have been seriously misinterpreting that the injunction to care for one another. So they, they thought, well, the Bible says care for one another. I don't have a job. I need some help. And people in the church say, okay, well, we'll care for you. And then they took advantage of that. So that's possible. We don't know that for sure, but maybe Paul addressed idleness because some of that was going on. I have a feeling all three things were going on. Probably. And that's why that's why he had to address it like he did, because he addressed it in both both of his letters. 
Okay, you've started us on the theological themes with this first one being Paul addressing the idleness. What other themes run through these chapters? Well, just like in First Thessalonians, we, we see an emphasis on Jesus's second coming and end times enthusiasm, I guess we could say. The letter doesn't mention Jesus's death. It doesn't mention his resurrection, but focuses on what Christ is yet to do when he will be as Paul said, it revealed from heaven and vindicating believers and destroying evil. The description of Christ's return that Paul gives in most of chapter one and into chapter two acknowledges the reality of evil. As you read through it, you'll see the acknowledgement of the reality of evil, the reaffirmation of God's justice, and the assertion of Christ's supremacy over forces of lawlessness that will be annihilated merely by, and check this out, they will be annihilated merely by the breath of his mouth. That's in chapter 2, verse 8. Second Thessalonians warns against living, though, with this enthusiastic or perhaps overly enthusiastic apocalyptic fervor. Somehow, people had given themselves over to the idea that the day of the Lord has already come. And Paul says that in chapter 2, verse 2, meaning possibly that people were living as though they were in the final days of the current age. And so that that just warped their thinking. It warped their reality. And Paul is trying to just bring them back to a living each day for the Lord and not to, not to get so caught up in the end time stuff. Let me read that verse. It comes from chapter two, verse two. And Paul writes this. Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect of the day of the Lord has come. Let no one to save you in any way. So you mentioned this earlier, but this verse mentions it again. A phrase that I think we maybe don't hear very often today, the day of the Lord. And you clarified a lot of times that D is a capital D, the day of the Lord. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's a good question because I think a lot of Christians right now, as we enter 2024, end times, the study of eschatology, it's it's on everybody's, many Christians are thinking about this because they just see the world going in a, in a descending spiral. And Tiff is some of our most popular podcasts are the the ones when we did the series on eschatology. But the day of the Lord, that's that's a great question. So the phrase the day of the Lord in prophetic writing is refers to the day of judgment when God will directly intervene in world affairs. As described in Zephaniah, for instance, God will sweep everything away. In Matthew's gospel, God is described as gathering his elect on that day. Now in Thessalonica, evidently this led to some irresponsible behavior by a few people, which could have damaged the church's reputation among its neighbors and and actually contributed to hardship in the church community's internal relationships. So there there was a lot of ardent hopes. People were just saying, hey, the Lord's coming. He's, He's coming today. He's coming tomorrow. He's coming next week. There's no question about it. But that also led to some foolish speculation about when Jesus would return. It I'm sure that it happens today. You'll read of someone giving you a timetable. I remember a book, this is going back a ways, I'm showing my age, but I remember a book coming out in 1988. 
and it was entitled 88 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1988. And he didn't return in 1988. And yet everybody was buying this book. It was like one of the most popular best-selling Christian books of the year. And that was going on in 1988. It was going on in AD 55 and 60. And that tends to captivate some Christians. And when we get all caught up in that, it it usually leads to damaging consequences of some sort. And it's a phenomenon, and it it appears to have been around for some time, at least since the writing of 2 Thessalonians. So we've just got to be careful that while we are looking for the coming of the Lord, to not be so caught up in that, that we forget the calling that God has given to us to fulfill while we are yet here on earth. Right. And I know that is a big deal. Everyone's always trying to figure out the dates, the times, when is Jesus returning? But I think there's a verse, I should probably know the reference, that we do not know the date or the time of his return. Only God knows that. So we have to prepare for his return, but continue living in the ways that he has taught us. So that's a good theme. Any other theological themes we should know about as we wrap this up? Very quickly, I'll just close with this. There's also the themes of persecution and vengeance and eternal destruction in Second Thessalonians. Isn't doesn't that sound happy and joyful? Sounds great. <laughs> persecution, vengeance, eternal destruction. Well, as you read through the book, you just you see it. assurances of retribution upon those persecuting the Christian faith expand. Paul expands on that to encompass the destruction of those who do not know God or who do not, I should say, and or those who don't obey the gospel. In other books, in other letters, Paul speaks of Christ's return in terms of how it will benefit believers, right? Second Thessalonians describes the event as bringing about the destruction of God's enemies and the declaration that God will prove to be just despite the increased proliferation of lawlessness in the world. These themes are not present and other letters that Bible scholars are confident that Paul wrote. And so that in itself sort of sets the second letter to the Thessalonians apart. Well, what a great one to end on there. <laughs> Positivity. No, really, thank you for a great overview of Second Thessalonians there. A lot for us to think about and a few things I learned for the first time today. So Kitchen Table Theologian, thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would really appreciate if you could take just a second, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate your help in getting the word out so that other people can hear. Don't forget, we will include those direct links to the two videos that Pastor Jeff mentioned, the one about the city of Thessalonica and the other Bible project videos. So we will link those in today's show notes for you. You can find those and more at jeffgreenston.com. Also, if you ever have any questions, feel free to email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, and at Streamline Podcasts for making this podcast possible. Next week, we will continue our Bible overview series. We'll be back in the Old Testament looking at the book of Ezra. Until then, always remember the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. Thanks for joining us at the table. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. 
If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.